Hey everyone, this is Jonathan Capehart, and this is a special edition of Cape Up, coming to you from the Brussels Forum hosted by the German Marshall Fund in the Belgian capital. My guest, Kersti Kaljulait, the president of Estonia, a Baltic nation whose worries about a resurgent Russia are tempered by its faith in NATO and democracy. President Kersti Kaljulait of Estonia, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Welcome. So during a discussion about populism here at the Brussels Forum, you made an impassioned plea or an argument for democracy. And among the things you said, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, we must protect democracy. Democracy is not about having the ability to buy more. Democracy is about freedom of speech and some other things that you said. Elaborate on that. Uh, when I was sitting in a Munich conference, actually, a couple of weeks ago, and I heard uh, some people saying that we need a perspective of more prosperous future to make sure our country is uh, free, has a rule of law, that will be total media freedom, etc. And suddenly it dawned at me that uh, these things are not at all interrelated. You can have freedoms at every level of prosperity. And I think that's the important thing to say in the nowadays world when we have doubts whether our children and grandchildren actually will be richer than we were. There are many places in the world where people are sure that they are. For example, if you look at generation back in China, people were far worse off than they are now. If you look at the, the population of Eastern Europe, people are actually doing quite nicely also financially. But all this movement up or down the property ladder should not affect people's ability to live in democracy. And that is very important to me. Keep this in mind. Whatever your complaints are to your society, you can voice these complaints. That's very important. What uh, impressed me about your your impassioned defense of democracy, um, maybe it was because of my understanding the history of Estonia uh, being a country that had been dominated by the Soviet Union. Occupied. Occupied. Right not yes. dominated. Yes. They were occupied. Occupied. And so for maybe us, we in the United States, we take democracy and the freedoms that come with that for granted. And is that what what drove you to really rise up out of the audience to make this impassioned defense of democracy? Definitely. I remember in 1991, Estonia uh, regained its independence and we were indeed very poor, but we were proud that we were free. And actually, when we were fighting the Soviet oppression, it was very much on the grounds that we cannot say what we think. You couldn't say Estonia is occupied, or you couldn't use your flag, blue, black and white flag. You were oppressed, and we wanted freedoms. Of course, we also want prosperity, and prosperity normally comes to the countries which have rule of law. That's pretty obvious. But the first reason we wanted our freedom back was to be independent, to decide for ourselves, and to be a free functional democracy. How afraid are you are of Russia, of the intentions of Vladimir Putin? The whole international community should recognize that there is a line which stretches back, back already to 2008, at least. When Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin decided that the international security architecture, as we know it, doesn't suit him, he wants to have uh, spheres of influence instead of freedom for nations to decide themselves, even the smallest of nations. And he started to play by his rules in Georgia and the Western society allowed him to proceed. And 
returned to the business as usual extremely quickly. Then we had Crimea. And now the Western world has recognized that there is a line in all this. There is a development in all this. And this is actually making our way of thinking about the world to fail, to make our security architecture to collapse. That is something which we cannot allow to happen. But first of all, we have to recognize there is the will of doing this, to divide the world into the spheres of influence instead of allowing nations to decide for themselves. And that is why it is very important that uh, we talk about this openly and there is necessary steps to be taken. European Union has taken the steps to use sanctions. United States have taken the steps to use sanctions in order to get Minsk agreements fulfilled and uh, Crimea returned to Ukraine. Also NATO has analyzed uh, the security situation surrounding NATO. So if you ask me if I'm afraid that Russia will attack any Baltic states, then I would say, no, I'm not afraid. If I'm afraid, does the international community really recognize what is at stake here? Then indeed, I'm afraid, a little bit afraid that we can be sometimes too simplistic in analyzing this situation. I think we need to look at the big picture and that long term here. It's interesting that you brought up Georgia, Crimea. We have seen the world community, once those actions were taken in Georgia and Crimea, I think you even said that things went back to business as usual. Are you fearful that, let's say, Vladimir Putin does decide to roll into Estonia or any of the Baltic no, states? I just you know, said to you, no, NATO's deterrence has always been adequate. And I'm not worried for the physical security of my country. Not at all. Nevertheless, it is very important that the international democratic community keeps to its red lines in Ukraine and stands by the Minsk agreements until they are fulfilled. But physically, there is no risk to any NATO country. NATO deterrence has always held in all through NATO's history. I trust NATO. I also trust international value-based community to make sure that Russia recognizes that our democratic architecture is not going to fail. Do you trust President Trump to have the United States fulfill its commitments if, God forbid, the will of NATO is tested in the Baltics? Absolutely. I met Vice President Pence and it was very clear that NATO is still exactly the same organization as it was meant to be also for the administration of the United States. No change there. NATO decisions from Warsaw are being implemented calmly in the region. You're the first woman president of Estonia since independence. You are the youngest president of Estonia, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Of Estonia, I am, yes, probably. In the region, <laughs> I know one who's younger than me. No, but of, which one? Of, of Estonia. The, so the first woman, the youngest, um, and also someone who initially wasn't running for president. How did you end up going from being outside of Estonia, but on, on, on assignment, uh, working for the Court of Auditors? Court of Auditors. Court of Auditors. How did you go from that to becoming president of Estonia? Well, I think very often when you need a compromise candidate, you turn to somebody who has been a little bit aside. I think it's a 
kind of normal development in this sense. But this was not an ambition of yours to be the leader of your country, to be the president of your country. I'm proud to accept this responsibility, nevertheless, and I'm doing my best at this job and making sure that the society well, feel secure in international environment and also well, can remain prospering into the future. One of the things that impressed me in all of the sessions here at Brussels Forum where you are involved either as a panelist or in the audience is that you speak your mind and you're very clear in what you think and what you have to say. And in one of the discussions we were talking about um, the role of women uh, in the workplace and particularly women of power. And you made a point of saying that, you know, you have the job of doing a job, but also being the mother of four children. How much is it that your being a mother informs the way you go about your job as president of Estonia? First of all, the panel was about the future of work, and I really don't know how the discussion actually turned to female issues. But what we were talking about during the panel was that the uh, nature of the work is actually changing, and uh, that makes uh, women more equal in the job place by the nature of changing jobs, because changing the work means that people can work and balance their life much better because you don't often need to go to the workplace, etc. anymore. That was actually the subject matter of that <laughs> debate. I really don't know how we got to discussing how many children somebody had. But in no way, in no way can I say this how much I'm informed or influenced because I've never been a, a male president without four children. Sorry about it. I cannot really answer these kind of questions. <laughs> Do you think too much time is spent talking about uh, gender issues when it comes to any any of these discussions that we're having, as you just said, we were talking about the you know the the future of work, and somehow we got on to onto gender issues. No, we need to talk about gender issues as well. And uh, if you are lucky in your life, you meet uh, colleagues in your work life who respect your life and your right to have children, and at the same time forward also your career. This way, you don't have to make compromises. And I've been extremely lucky. Uh, by having the chance to work in such environments. And these environments have been equally in Estonia and also in the European institutions. So it does matter because I think the first uh, line on equality was just that if women wanted to work, they were simply allowed to perform like men. And that means women just became like men. Now we are more talking about balancing, balancing the fact that you need to have children balancing and understanding that you don't need to work full-time in order to forward your career. And this message didn't come from me today in the panel. So we need to keep talking until we solve this issue, obviously. What would you say to the American people who are concerned that President Trump will withdraw the United States from the world, especially given the, the rhetoric from his presidential campaign, which had a lot of people wondering at home and abroad whether the United States would continue to be an active uh, leader on the world stage. Frankly speaking, I don't like to uh, comment on the uh, on the relations between politicians of different countries to their people and on the election results, etc. I don't feel this is my work. People elect their leaders the way they see it best. And we other leaders, we cooperate with those leaders who, is, who are elected. And that is important to me. 
Can NATO survive, do you think, without the commitment by the United States? And I ask that because there is a lot of discussion about uh, here in Europe, but also in the United States, about the president's talk, sort of very aggressive talk about the NATO alliance and whether the United States is going to remain 100 percent committed to the NATO alliance and to Europe in general. That's what Vice President Pence said uh, in a meeting which the Baltic presidents had with him. He also said the same in the Munich conference. He also repeated the same message in Brussels, meeting the EU officials. So, of course, we are convinced. What did you make of uh, Vice President Pence? Had you met him before? No. At no time when he was a governor or a senator or anything? No. What did you make of him? What did you think? He was a like-minded person adamant on democratic values as we are here, adamant on uh, that we need to keep our unity, that transatlantic cooperation is important. When was your, your last trip to the United States? Can't remember exactly. Uh, it must have been an IMF World Bank annual meeting sometime, uh, but I cannot remember exactly. Okay, I was going to ask you your your favorite your your favorite city or attraction or site Washington, in the United States. Washington downtown bookshops there, <laughs> Potomac Riverside to walk, mm -hmm. the memorial of lives lost in Vietnam, Arlington Cemetery, all places to go and think about where humanity has been. The only thing to fear is the fear itself, the monument. Remember that. So there are places which. Uh, I can, well, immediately bring into my mind if I think about the United States of America. Great free country. Madam President, thank you very much again for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You know what? Do me a favor. Subscribe and then rate and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.